snow is beautiful. Anybody enjoy looking at the snow? I, I mean, I went out uh, last night and yesterday, and then this morning I was just looking at the snow, and I was totally amazed how beautiful the snow is. But you know what? Snow is not only beautiful, snow is messy. And I hear some laughters, but it, it's a mess. And in, in fact, when I was out walking around the other night, and I'm just like, I think I'm actually walking in a puddle of water because it, it was just all soaked and then had a gracious neighbor. I don't even know which neighbor it was for sure. Maybe it was one of you guys. Somebody plowed out my driveway and, and then it's all messy and all the dirt and the, the snow melting. So snow is, is beautiful, but it is also messy. And the other thing that I saw on the news last night, and it was like, it was a revelation to someone, snow is heavy. Snow is really, really heavy. And this person was saying, I didn't know it could take down trees. Yes, it can. It can take down trees, can take down power lines. And as I was thinking about the beauty of the snow and the, the messiness of the snow and the heaviness of the snow, I said, isn't that like life? Especially us as Christians, we realize that following Christ and knowing Christ, it can be a beautiful thing. It can be a wonderful thing. It can be a great thing. And especially as we're talking about made for more, it, it, it can be something that is so glorious, so wonderful. And it, it's just a nice picture to see someone who knows Jesus Christ, knows the forgiveness of sins, is walking with him and has that freedom. But we all know that even though we're a Christian, sometimes even being in Christ it means life sometimes is messy. Following Christ is messy. Sometimes we're surprised that we think we will come to Christ. And like we learned last week, yes, he came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. But sometimes life gets in the way of that abundant life and it's messy. But life can be heavy. Now, Christ never wanted it that way. In fact, Christ said, come to me, all you who have a heavy laden or your burdens are so much on your back. He says, come to me, take my yoke and learn from me and I will give you rest. I'm really excited about this series made for more in a I'm really excited about today's message. I would encourage you maybe to tell someone about today's message. I wouldn't want to say that today's message is the most important in the series, but I do believe it is an anchor in the series. It's foundational in the series. As we're going to look at what it means to be a masterpiece, what it means to be made in the image of God. For the last, basically since I started ministry, I, I keep forgetting how many years it is, but it seems like it's getting longer and longer, but I've been trying to help people discover what I call their divine design. And even here, I talk about helping people to find their sweet spot, where they fit, how God has wired them, their own DNA, how they can make a difference in this world, because I believe 
not only have we been created with a divine design, not only have we been created with a sweet spot, but it is God's desire that we discover it and live it out for his glory. It's sort of like a car. And a car, when the, the tires are aligned, everything runs smooth. But if you ever have a car that is out of alignment or one of the tires is off and you sort of get thump, 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 and it, or it starts drifting and pulling and it's just like, what is going on here? That's not the way the car was designed and made. And that's not the way the alignment is supposed to function. Sadly, when we come to Christ, somebody maybe didn't tell us the full story, who we are in Christ, but sometimes we know we're in Christ and know that God has empowered us and blessed us and given us all these spiritual blessings, but something starts to go thump, thump, or something starts to pull, it starts to drag, and eventually we find ourselves out of alignment. And so today, I want to help us get back in alignment. And just by way of review a little bit, what this series is all about, this is what I want us to see here. You were made for more. You were made to be more. You were made to do more. And you were made to go more. You are made to be more, do more, and go more. And there's no pressure... Because it is all by God's grace. Uh, that's why I really like that song. Death was arrested and new life began. And this life we're going to see is a gift from God. And so we were created to be more, do more, and go more. You were created for more. So we talked about this last week. And if you didn't listen to last week's message, I would encourage you to do it. I would encourage you to get the next steps that are on the information desk, and they sort of look like this, and I would encourage you to go through it, and also on your program for today's message, and on the back of the next steps are different ways you can help discover how God has wired you and your divine design, but notice what it means to be more, do more, and go more. Each of us has a core identity and a unique identity. So what do we mean by a core identity? We're all Christians here. We're all hopefully disciples of Christ. That is our core identity. But we also have a unique and a special DNA. Just like we all got a unique fingerprint. God has wired us uniquely and we have a unique identity. And we're going to see that very clearly today. But also we have... A common purpose or a core purpose, we are to be disciples and to make disciples. We're to be Christ followers. We're to follow Christ, to know Christ, to love Christ, to serve Christ. But we all have a core purpose as well. If you've ever asked the question, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? The reason you're asking that question is because God has wired you as a Christian for more, and you were made for more, to do more. We all have a certain place, a certain location. Some people call this a, your position in life, but I like the word place because we're all trying to find out what is my place in life? Where, where exactly do I fit? 
and all of us, as we learned last week, we, we live somewhere, we work somewhere, we study somewhere, and we play somewhere. That's basically life, and that is our core, but inside that, each of us has a unique living situation, a unique work situation, a unique learning and study situation, and we have a unique place situation, and God has wired us to move forward. So here's the verse that we're going to look at today, and you can turn in your Bibles as well to Ephesians 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10, and I'm going to read the full context in Ephesians chapter 2. I don't know if you remember, I think it was last summer, Aaron Cantrell was here, and he actually spoke on Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and he was talking about our salvation why God saved us, and I would encourage you maybe to go back and find that online. Um, we're going to focus in just on this one verse. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Notice what it says, and again, this is the song we just sung, Death Was Arrested, and you were dead. You, you, you were lifeless in what? The trespasses and sins. But notice this, he says, in which you once walked, uh, you once lived. Where, wherever you lived, worked, played, and studied, you were dead. You may have thought you were alive, but spiritually you were dead. He says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Not a pretty picture. But in verse 2, 4, we have one of the great buts in Scripture. But God. But God shows up. And all of us have that moment when God shows up in our lives. And notice what it says, but God being rich in mercy. Last week when we looked at Ephesians 1, we realized he was rich in grace, but he's also rich in mercy. Because of his great love, or because of the great love with which he loved us. When we talk about understanding our identity, who we are in Christ, right away we're seeing some things. We're not only rich... We're not only going to be seeing that we're forgiven, but we are loved. That's our identity. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, notice what God did. He made us alive together with Christ. Again, our identity, we are alive. By grace you have been saved. That's our identity. We're saved. That means we're different. We're delivered. We're, we're, we're forgiven. And then he says, and you were raised up with him. Raised up means you, you have been empowered. You, not, you now can walk differently. You can live differently. You can live the new life that you were created to live. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. To be seated means to be victorious. If you want to know your identity, you're a winner, not a loser. 
That's why we learned last week, you're a saint, not a sinner. You say, well, Mark, that's up in the heavenlies. Well, I don't want to dream about being in the heavenlies. What about here on earth? You see, that is our real identity. When God's looking down on earth, he's looking at us in the reality of who we are in Christ Jesus. And we are alive. We're seated with him. We're victorious. And then notice what it says. It says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Hopefully you're getting the picture, and we learned about this last week, with more grace. There's no effort on our part. It's all by God's grace. It's all by his choosing and his will. In fact, he says in verse 8, for by grace... You have been saved, or literally, you have been delivered. You've been rescued. So by grace, you have been saved through faith. Again, last week we learned there's, there's only one word for faith. It means to believe. It means to trust. It means to have confidence. It's all the same word. It's just translated differently sometimes. So it means to have assurance and confidence in Christ Jesus. And what did Christ Jesus do? Well, he came, and he died, and he rose again, and he has promised us life and the forgiveness of sins if we trust in him. That's what it means to believe. Then it says, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, in my Bible, I circled the next word, for. For what purpose are we saved by grace through faith alone? It's it's an explanation to why salvation is free. Why why we're not bringing effort into it. Because God had a plan. Well, what was his plan? You are God's masterpiece. You are God's work of art. You are God's workmanship. You are God's, literally in the Greek, you are God's poem. I'm not very poetic. Roses are red, violets are blue. That's about as deep as I can get for me and you. I don't know. I just made that up. Maybe that works. I don't know. But God is a master. In fact, even though the word was used for poem, it was literally used in Jesus' day for craftsmen. And what specifically, what type of craftsmen? People that made crowns. And it's interesting, it was sometimes when you look at a word in its history, just think, when, when they're reading this, they're like, oh, I, I'm a crown. There, there must be something special about me. There must be something magnificent. I, I, I'm sort of the, the crown, or I'm sort of at the top. I, I, I'm special. I'm unique. I, I'm God's masterpiece. Now notice this. Created in Christ Jesus. Before we, before we get excited and say, oh yeah, I am special, look at me. We're created in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in Christ, you have been created two times. In Genesis 1, we were made in the image, in the likeness of God himself. Male and female, he created us. 
Yes, that's our original core identity as humans. And again, this world is very confused, whether we're males and females, but it's very clear in Scripture. God made us in his image, either male or female. That is our first creation. But if you have trusted and believed and put your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work, guess what? You have been created again. This is your second creation, and it is in Christ Jesus. It's specifically now, if in Genesis 1, you're made in the image of God, yes, you're made in the image of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but you're made in the the image of a divine being, God, and that's why you have a divine design. But in Ephesians 2, it gets even more specific. We were created in Christ Jesus, and that's why we can be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. But notice this, it says, for good works, or literally I put in there so we can see it, for the purpose of good works. How do we know that salvation is by grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone? Well, for the very reason that God made us a masterpiece, that's who we are, that's our identity. And then he develops it deeper, what is that purpose, what is that meaning? What is that core reason why God made you a Christ follower? So you can do good works. And again, I, I've studied Greek for a very long time, and it wasn't until oh, probably about five, ten years into ministry, I was at Moody's Pastors Conference in Chicago, and Joel Stoll, who was the president of Moody at that time, He was actually speaking on good works. And he was speaking on actually the the passage in Matthew chapter 5. Where God calls us to be salt and light. So that the world can see our good works. And glorify our Father in heaven. And he said that there's different types of words for good. And so when God's talking about good works here. He's not talking about being a goody two-shoes so to speak. Yes, he's talking about doing something that is morally good. But what Dr. Stoll taught me, and it's been very helpful, is the good is something that is beautiful and attractive. Like I said, we we started off saying that the snow is beautiful. It's sort of attractive. It it catches your eye. In fact, when we were going to, to, to bed at night, and again, you have no power, but when we do have the lights off, for some reason that snow is just glowing. Last night, and we were like, what, what's going on? Is it daylight outside? No, it can't be. It was the beauty of the snow and, I don't know, the stars or the moon or whatever was out and something was reflecting, and it was just so beautiful. We as Christians, we are called to be beautiful. We're called to be attractive. That's what it means to bear fruit. Fruit is attractive. Somebody wants to take a sort of a bite out of us or, or, or want to say, hey, what do you have? I want that. So these good works are not, they're for our benefit, but they're they're the benefit of others and the benefit of God because it brings him glory. Notice, which God prepared beforehand. Now I'm still debating this in my mind. There's two ways to understand this. The good works were prepared in advance. Or we as Christians, or me, 
specifically, and you specifically, your workmanship was created in advance. So your identity is, is still the most important thing on the, the table. And so your function does follow your form. And that's what God has created, and that's maybe what God has thought up. Now again, I, I can interpret it that it's the good works that he prepared in advance for us. And, and that's probably true, but sometimes that, that could be sort of uh, scary for us as Christians, making sure we fulfill every one of those good works. It's, it's sort of like the debate, does, does, does God just have one person out there for you to marry? And you're trying to figure that out, and... Sometimes that can be stressful. What, what happens if I married the wrong one? or Sort of that way with good works. But I think what God is trying to teach us is who we are as human beings. We've been made for more. And then notice what it says. So that we should walk in them. The word walk literally is live. And some of your translations may have live. And, I, and what I love about this passage, it doesn't say that we should work in them. It says we should walk in them. It's not saying that there's good works out there, that i got to muster up energy and effort, and i gotta, I got to try to work it, and i, I got to try to do it and, and show that I'm a Christian. No, it's, now it's who I am should be how I walk, how I live. And again... Where I live, where I work, where I play, where I study. And specifically, if you read the rest of the book of Ephesians chapter 2, specifically, where I go to church. Again, as the ecclesia, we are a body of Christ that is on the move. We're people who have come to Christ and now we're moving forward. So that's just my introduction. So nobody's here, so we can go a long time, right? Here's the point that I really want us to take with us today. We need to, if we want to understand this shift. So last week the shift was from more effort to more grace. The shift today is from more volunteers to more masterpieces. In fact, we'll, we'll probably talk about some of this the vision night coming up. But I'm really reconsidering what I've been doing over the course of um, my ministry career and even looking at the concept of getting in the game. You see, churches, not only ours, but churches across America, they're, they're constantly calling for volunteers or putting an arm behind somebody's back. We need you. We got all these ministries and all these programs and, and we want you to serve. I don't know if that's exactly how I read scripture. I think scripture is more, we need more masterpieces. We need more people who are taking their walk with Jesus so serious, they want to get to know who God made them to be. And they want to live in that and breathe in that and make it their story. So here's what we need to understand. There are two important days, the day we were born and the day we discovered our purpose. 
And like I said, I've been working at this for a very long time. I've been trying to help people, Christian and non-Christian, help them discover their purpose, their mission, their, their calling, so to speak, in life. You see, we can't control, really, the day we're born. We can't control the day we die, but we can control what's in between. And one of the things I've been saying uh, to my stepmom and to saying to one of my friends is, you know, cancer can define how we're going to die. I learned this from Erwin McManus, who was diagnosed with cancer. Cancer can define how we're going to die, but it's not going to define how we live. All of us are going to die someday. The question is, how are we going to live? And how are we going to live for his glory? And how are we going to live a life on mission, on point, on focus, whatever you want to say, according to the true north, where we know who we are, why we're here, and how we need go about it you can only be you it doesn't do any good to try to be somebody else you can only be you why because you're unique just again as you have a unique fingerprint I heard actually and I don't know if it's true I'm not a doctor I hear each of us even have a unique heartbeat God has made us unique physically. Wouldn't he make us unique spiritually? And so what we need to do is we need to find that uniqueness wherever we're at. Did anybody watch the Clemson game, Alabama? I didn't get a chance to see it. I don't know if you saw afterwards, Debo Sweeney. Is that his name, Debo Sweeney? Um, He was interviewed, and he continues to be interviewed. And a reporter asked him, well, why do you always share your faith? Why do you give glory to God? And he was sort of taken back. He's like, are you really asking me that question? And he said, oh, let me tell you. Because he said, without Jesus Christ, there's no peace and hope in this world. He said, when I was 16, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and it changed my life forever. He said, we as a family, we went to church, but I didn't know what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and I realize now I have hope. And the hope that I have in the future allows me to live in the present. And he said, when I meet my maker, he's not going to ask me about my football team. He's not going to ask me how many wins, how many super, or not Super Bowls, but national championships. He's not going to ask me about how, how many Heisman players we had. He's going to ask me, how did you disciple the men that I put into your life? Here is a football coach at Clemson who understands his unique purpose. And only he can be, only he can live out his story of what God is doing. So I want to talk just real briefly as we we end here. Um, All of us needs to know, and we're going to talk about this, especially when we get into Ephesians 4, but this is sort of a primer. All of us needs to know our GPS. I think Brian was the one that was saying he was lost a couple of weeks, a lot, and he needs a GPS. I think he said he even gets lost with his GPS, you know? So we need to pray for Brian. 
I wondered when he was mentioning that in his message, he like talks about being lost and continually lost, but we're asking him to lead our youth. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, GPS, our gifts, our passion, and our story. And I've used a lot of things over the course of the years teaching people divine design. But I came across this in this series, Made for More. And we do need to know what our gifts are. We need to know what our passion is. And we need to know what our story is. And since we're in Ephesians 4, we want to look at, or Ephesians chapter 2, we want to look at the gifts that Ephesians talks about. You see, Paul in 1 Corinthians says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Sadly, in the church today, many of us are ignorant about our spiritual gifts. You can find the gifts in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12 has what I would call maybe a practical list of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 combines both um, like prophetic gifts and healings and the charismatic gifts as also practical gifts. And then in Ephesians 4, I would say these are more gifted individuals. But if you look at Ephesians 4, 10 and 11, you will notice, and I call APES, what am I talking about? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And you're one of these. In fact, when we were doing E3, we were training for elders here, there was about 12 guys, and sort of asked, who are you? Are you an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a shepherd, a teacher? A lot of times get sort of a, a blank look. And so I said, well, let's do something different. Let's start, let's start identifying it in each other. And I don't know if you will be able to identify it. And what I, what I like to do is put the cookies where we can eat them, right? And so I'm trying to show up here what these terms really mean. I mean, some of you will say, I'm not an apostle. <laughs> Definitely an be honest, I'm not even a saint that you talk about. I'm more in the sinner camp, okay? Not an apostle. But an apostle is a Christian that send and extend. I talk about them last week, I think a little bit. They're, they're entrepreneurs. They're, they're on the go. They, they send. They, they're church planters. Paul started new churches. They send and extend. What about a prophet? They question and challenge. What is truth and What are we doing and how are we living and and those sort of things. That's a prophet. An evangelist wants to proclaim Christ and proclaim the good news that salvation is free and salvation is by God's grace and God loves us and he has a plan for our lives and inviting others to be a part of that. Shepherds are sort of those caretakers, but they guide and provide. That's why a lot of times pastors are called shepherds. They're trying to guide the sheep and trying to guide God's people and and provide for them, provide care and nurture. And then there are the teachers. You may say, well, what's a a teacher exactly? Isn't what you're doing teaching? Yeah, that's sort of what it's doing, but it's it's helping to explain. It's it's providing clarity and organizing ideas and thoughts so, so people can have clarity about what their next step is. And I've taken tons of inventories and assessments. And again, I got it on the back of the program. I I think everybody should know. And I think you probably should take multiple tests. And I actually have where you can go and get this APEST test. And 
Again, you can joke around about it with your family or whatever. I'm a pest, you know, or whatever you want to do. But try to figure out how God has wired you spiritually. And I know where I feel comfortable. I mean, I feel comfortable right in that prophet category. I feel comfortable. You're probably saying, Mark, you're always questioning and challenging everything. Yes. That's the way God's wired me to question, to challenge. I also feel comfortable in the teaching. I feel very comfortable organizing ideas. In fact, in fact it's very interesting. When, when I was a kid, I loved collections. I collected everything, baseball cards, football cards. Didn't really collect stamps. I collected coins. I collected rocks. I collected junk. I collected anything. And I would organize it. And sometimes some of you guys are like, well, how does your mind work for teaching? What it is, is is an organization, I'm organizing in my brain all these ideas and thoughts and concepts, and then trying to make them very clear. I feel very comfortable in that because that's how God has wired me to teach. Last two. What drives you? This is your passion. What what are you thinking about when you go to bed? What what causes you to get up in the morning? Mark, nothing's really driving me. There's something that drives you. It's usually a people group. But what I've found often is you look at the pain in your life, and that's how God usually creates passion. And so if you struggle with, well, I don't know what my passion is, just look at the pain, look at the brokenness, look at the hurt, and I would say that God's going to use that and create a passion and a hunger and a thirst for him, for others. And lastly, what is your story? I used to do this thing with actually seminary students when I was at Dallas, and I may mention it's called Life Maps. You would start when you were born, 1966 for me, and to the present. And what you would do on that life map, you would put your highs and your lows, you would put your heroes, you would put people that have influenced your life, and the stories that you have experienced in life. You see, we all got a story. God's writing a story in our life, and he's not going to waste any story. I don't know, sometimes I look at my story, and and I can see a lot of pain, heartache. I got a lot of death. It was sort of interesting. I'm trying to figure out my story. I'm not into numerology, but it's interesting. My mom died on 11-1. My dad died on 1-1, and now my stepmom died on 1-11. I was like, well, that's a little strange. And to me, as I look at that story, I'm even like, oh, it's even strange that, you know, I'm dealing with all death all the time and thinking about it, and, and that's part of my story. I'm trying to help people who, who are grieving, who are hurting, and trying to offer hope and encouragement. And so, especially when my friend calls me, I mean, I'm right there. I got a verse. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Romans 12, 12. Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord is with us. He's mighty to save. He'll take great delight in us. He rejoices over us with singing. 
He quiets us. He calms us with his love. I look up to the hills, Psalm 121. Where does my hope come from? It comes from the Lord who created heaven and earth. Job 1, blessed be the name of the Lord who gives and he takes away. And the reason I can share those and I can talk to people about them is because of my story. And all of you have a story as well. And this is your GPS. God has gifted you. He's given you a passion. He's given you a story. And now it's up to us to carry that out. And so as I look at the scripture and I look at this passage in Ephesians 2.10, which I would encourage you to memorize, being God's masterpiece means that we as a church should not be about begging people to serve and to volunteer. We should be a church that is helping people understand their identity and taking it where they live, where they work, where they play, and where they serve. And we're going to do that because we learned last week that Jesus is the head of the church and the church fills everything, every corner, every crevice he Jesus saturates this world with the church and us as individuals as Christians but if you look at the end of Ephesians chapter 2 it also says that God is building something he's building his church he's building his temple he's building a foundation and when we as a church help everybody understand who they are, and we unite around the fact that we're all unique and special and we're all masterpieces, all of a sudden guilt, shame, embarrassment goes away and people start following Christ and they get excited about Christ and they start taking Christ into their home, into the workplace, into the playground. And it's all for the glory of God.